Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, December 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Starbucks expects a jolt after its pandemic interruption. U.S. banks may get to retire their role as anti-money laundering middlemen, and Japan's $294 billion stimulus package has ambitions beyond coronavirus recovery. But first, several clean energy leaders at Shell have left the company just weeks before the oil group is set to announce its new green energy strategy. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Royal Dutch Shell's senior leaders have been locked in debate over the design of its plan for a green energy transition. Some executives wanted a more aggressive push than others. Clean energy leaders have left amid the discord, and it has some people wondering about Shell's game plan when it comes to a world beyond oil. Angelie Raval, our senior energy correspondent, joins me now to discuss what's going on. Angelie, who are the executives that have left, and do we know why? So among these executives, you've got the person who heads the onshore wind business and also somebody who heads the offshore wind business. You also have a person who was working in the energy transition strategy team. Now, look, not every move is known to be linked to this frustration about the pace of change, but what our sources have told us, this exodus is basically happening amid this broader turmoil within the company about direction of travel and how far the company is willing to go in its transition towards cleaner fuels. Now, we've got some older hands who basically believe the current strategy is just the right one, just that they need to communicate it better. They believe they are already doing things that are far more aggressive than their peers, and they don't really need to go much further. But then you do have this other contingent, and there are more people that are planning on leaving. And they believe that the mindset is just not there among the sort of top end of the company. They believe fundamentally, this is an oil and gas company, and that is how it's going to stay. Yeah. And speaking of competitors, I mean, if you look at the more aggressive side of things, BP said over the summer that it would cut oil and gas production by 40 percent by 2030. So Shell Shell does have some big competition when it comes to this sort of transition. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is the departure of these people who seem to be so integral to this process? What does their departure mean for Shell now? I think what's most interesting is the timing. We are at a point where Shell is in February going to announce its big strategy update, its plan for the energy transition and how it plans to reach net zero emissions. All these people are leaving right before that time. Ben Van Burden told the FT last year that his single biggest regret would be retreating from the oil business prematurely. They are very worried about abandoning a business that is still very lucrative for them. Let's not forget, you know, the big elephant in the room, which is that people are still using hydrocarbons. They are still using oil and gas and they are making loads of money from it. And there is a concern among the current leadership team about investing even larger sums into greener businesses that are just not making the same kind of cash as their traditional fossil fuel divisions. So, Angelie, what is Shell's position when it comes to the energy transition right now? I think what we can say is that Shell does want to move more aggressively in the low carbon space. But what Shell's energy transition strategy will look like, it's far broader. It's about gas. It's about chemicals. It's not just about renewables and solar, which is something that environmental campaigners and even investors actually want them to do more of. 
But the difference here is that this is a lower margin business. It's not as lucrative as pumping out oil from the Gulf of Mexico. And so they need to be able to balance all these different things in one go. And they know that the pandemic has accelerated this shift towards cleaner fuels. They can see the public sentiment. They can see the political sentiment. They know that's not going away. But it's a question of speed. You know, how quickly can Shell actually go? Your mention of of this turn toward less lucrative parts of the business. I mean, is this just something that Shell is going to have to accept as part of the future? Uh, You know, they had to cut dividends for the first time since the Second World War. Are these all things that are no longer an anomaly and more commonplace than what we had seen in the past? So all oil and gas companies, they are having to reckon with this. The positive side of going down that path is that these businesses are not tied to oil price cycles. They're seen as far more stable. And, you know, these oil companies are in a really, really tough spot because on the one hand, investors, environmentalists, the public, they all want them to move towards cleaner forms of energy. But even as they've announced all these new announcements, their share prices have just kept on falling. And so they're not being rewarded. So what has to happen in order for them to see the benefit? And increasingly, I keep hearing it has to be about execution and the fact they are making money from these new businesses. That is going to take time. And who knows how many investors are going to stick around to wait to see if these big companies can make money from greener businesses. Angela Raval is our senior energy correspondent. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Starbucks is holding its investor day today. It's the company's first since 2018. And since then, the coffee shop chain has lifted its market value by $36 billion. And despite the pandemic, the CEO of Starbucks doesn't expect the company to slow down. Kevin Johnson recently spoke to the FT, and he said, sure, the pandemic hit the coffee chain hard at first, a 40% year-on-year loss in sales in the three months to June. But now, Johnson expects business in China to fully recover in the current quarter, and the company forecasts in the year to next September that the group's earnings will approach or beat those of 2019. Johnson may have a positive outlook, but the pandemic has been hard on smaller rivals. Market research company Euromonitor found that the U.S. alone will lose 2,000 coffee shops this year. The CEO says some of the main things keeping Starbucks competitive are overhauling cafes, raising employee wages, and in some cases, turning to artificial intelligence. Johnson will explain in detail at today's Investor Day how he's planning more growth for the company. The event will even have a virtual coffee tasting with samples of its holiday blend sent to analysts in advance. This week, U.S. lawmakers could approve the country's first anti-money laundering overhaul in decades. Yesterday, the House of Representatives signed off on the legislation, and if it's passed in the Senate, the changes mean U.S. corporations would have to register the IDs of their beneficial owners with the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's designed to stop criminals from using shell companies to hide money they obtained illegally. And it would have a benefit for U.S. banks. It would no longer have to act as the information-collecting middlemen between companies and U.S. law enforcement, resulting in a lower overall cost of compliance. The bill also directs law enforcement, bank supervisors, and banks to set up channels of communication. The goal here is to make the process of reporting suspicious activity more streamlined. But there could be a big roadblock to the bill. President Trump. The legislation is attached to the U.S. defense budget, something Trump has threatened to veto unless lawmakers repeal Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. 
which protects social networks from being prosecuted for content posted on their sites. Japan's Prime Minister, Yoshihide Suga, has launched the country's third fiscal stimulus package of the year. While the plan comes in response to a resurgence in coronavirus cases, it also expands the scope of Japan's spending significantly. In a departure from previous packages, trillions of yen this time will go towards investment in new digital and green technologies. Robin Harding, our Tokyo bureau chief, has more. I think some kind of package was long planned, and particularly after new Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga took over in September, there was always going to be another fiscal package. But I think as the number of cases has picked up in Japan through the autumn, the size of this package has got bigger. It's about the same size as the two earlier rounds, which is to say it's very big indeed. The direct spending part of this comes to about 6% of GDP. And then there's a whole load of loan guarantees and loans and other things on top of that. The big difference this time around compared with the earlier packages is that those earlier packages were aimed at compensating businesses that were closed or people who were forced to stay at home during corona restrictions. So there were direct handouts to the public earlier in the year, there were handouts to businesses, and that's where a lot of the money went, as it has in other countries. The difference this time around is that a lot of the money is intended for a post-corona world, which is maybe a little bit optimistic, but there's things like investment in green technologies. Japan's recently announced a carbon zero in 2050 goal, and so a big part of this package is things like hydrogen and green investment. Robin Harding is our Tokyo bureau chief. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.